Welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast, featuring the latest strategies and techniques to drive traffic to your website and convert that traffic into clients. Now, here's the founder and CEO of 10 Golden Rules, Jay Berkowitz. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time you're listening to this podcast, welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast. We've got a great guest today, Michael Coopersmith from Integrated Technology Systems. And today we're going to learn all about how to set up the tech in your law firms and importantly, how to prevent from those Bitcoin ransom attacks and different technology things that you got to be aware of. Michael, welcome to the 10 Golden Rules podcast. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you guys started working and specializing in legal? I've been in the IT field since mid-90s. I've been working law firms pretty well beginning basically right around then, 97, 98. Actually really took off in 98 and basically about almost about half of our business has been law firms over that time. We've done everything from commercial litigation, trial law, um, you name it, all different types of law. Basically, at the beginning of when we were dealing with it, it was just keeping everything working, keeping it all moving, keeping everybody productive, installing case management software. Today, it's really turned into, can we keep everybody safe? So what would you say, what what percentage of your focus is just keeping the bad guys out? <laughs> well, you know, day to day, you got to keep, I'd say it's, you know, probably 50-50, right? Um, there are different parts of it, right? Productivity is still key. Everybody wants to bill or be able to work or whatever, depending on the type of practice they need their people to work. That's half the business. The tr- balance between that, though, is keeping them working safely and productive at the same time. We can lock it down so tight that people can't be productive. And at the same breath, we don't want it so loose that they are, can hurt themselves. And you were telling me some of the scary stories the other day. Um, you know, just why don't you tell us a couple of stories about um, firms that didn't have the right procedures in place and, and how this whole, um, you know, ransom attack, Bitcoin thing happens. Well, basically, in a lot of ways, it all comes through from the endpoint, which means the end user's PC. A lot of people think today, um, there's still a lot of belief out there. I put a firewall in. And basically, and I put some antivirus in and I'm safe. That world has changed. That's the old paradigm. Today, it all comes in on the endpoint and the endpoint. What we mean is the user's computer. So, right. So we've seen case in points where, and this is where you got to be careful with people. You've got the corporate email locked down. You've got everything safe there. And you allow your employees to go get email on their Gmail account or their Hotmail or their Yahoo account. And they open that email on their office computer. Well, the office computers then got access to the drives on the network. It's got access to Office 365 files, got access to all sorts of stuff. Once it's on that computer and if a ransomware is attacked, Anything that that person has access to is subject to being hit with ransomware at that point. So one of the key points when you look at this is 
only give your employees from a cyber perspective access to the data they need to do their job. So, right, if you turned they, around, they don't and you get had, they don't get every file, they don't get every HIPAA violation, risking piece of medical information. They they only they only get their files. Correct. Correct. Exactly. So, you know, HIPAA becomes a big issue in this because what happens when if the firm takes ransomware and they, what they call ex, um, export the data out and they say, hey, we're going to. So ransomware shifted years ago. It used to be they would come in, they would ransomware your data and they would say, hey, pay us so many dollars in bitcoins and we'll unlock your data. Now what they do is they take and they ransomware your data and they take your data out and they say, hey, if you don't pay us, we're going to release this data. So now you've got different business issues than, hey, my files are locked. Now you've got possibly different state regulatory issues because all of a sudden the data is being out there. You've definitely got HIPAA. If you've got medical records, you've got all sorts of issues out there. And now you've got filing requirements with the FBI because they're, the data's out there at that point. So, you know, what are the top two or three things that like the small to medium firm needs to do to protect themselves? I mean, hopefully the bigger firms have your someone like yourself on their on their team. So the first thing that everybody needs to do is, which is non-technical, is get their team going to, through cyber training and talk about what's happening. Cyber training, we can talk about all the technical team pieces and they are the most important part. But cyber training is, is the most, most important part. And I can give you an example from a point of firm that we had dealing with. So we had a law firm. They were dealing with a transaction with somebody from two different sides different law firm and we had gone through a significant amount of cyber training and all of a sudden what the party who was secure got a link to open a file in office 365 the file didn't go through they hit their password they hit their multi-factor authentication multiple times and didn't go through but they kept getting prompted and they allowed it well five minutes later they kind of went in their head you know that train training I went through says, this doesn't make sense. Maybe I should contact my IT company, which was us, and let them know. Well, sure enough, we looked, bad guys were in there. 15 minutes in, we had the whole thing closed down because the person was trained that something suspicious was happening. They made a mistake in allowing it, but they had the wherewithal to say, I've got a problem. Let me escalate this. Let me fix it. We found out there was no, ex the data, we had a file with the cyber carrier. Cyber carrier went through the forensics. The forensics went back and came and said, there was no exfiltration of data. There was no reporting requirements. And this was textbook case of how it was done right because there was cyber training and there was controls in place. You know, we had another smart technical guy on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Dr. Kane Elliott, the AI researcher, futurist from Filevine, and he had a great line. He said, if you're downloading some AI products and the product's free, you are the product. 
Yes. And I find that all the time that there's, you know, even like the other day I was trying to download a song from YouTube and I downloaded this free software and I, I knew immediately that like, you know, it started running all these ads and running all these things on my computer. I knew immediately I was in trouble. You know, what are the those kinds of things that they offer you this free software, this free product, but, you know, obviously if it's too good to be true, they're accessing your, you know, they're giving you something great in return for access to your, your computer, your data, or even just your click patterns. How do you look so, at those things? So we look at the fact that if we look at a law firm today, or we look at a organization, we prevent the download of that data. So I agree with you, the free stuff and those free things, basically either they come with a package of advertisements that are stuck on your computer or they cut or they could be loaded with ransomware that you don't know about that's not to say there aren't you know there isn't a world where some of the free stuff is right but you got to know what you're looking for so when we look at stuff like this we've locked down the computers at this point when we're dealing with stuff your employees or your people that are working for you should not have free unfettered access to data and to install things on the machines. Your policy and your procedures should really be around, these are the defined applications that you need for the firm. These are the defined pieces. And if you need something else, then we have to stop and think about why and what we need. And is it, a sa is it safe to install it? Awesome. So talk to me about, you mentioned case management and getting those type of systems. You know, what are some of the best practices these days for firms to have really run the business in the cloud instead of the old fashioned file systems? So I'm all for the cloud, but there's a definite checklist missing when you look at the cloud. And I, we get into these conversations at times with clients and they're not always, and it's a hard one to understand. So when we look at data, you know, the biggest piece is when we look at the a pie, the biggest piece that ITS or another cyber company or law firm is trying to do is protect the data, right? And the firm and protect their client's data that they have. So when you look at a package, you want to make sure, do they, are they following a regulation? Like, do they have what they call a SOC 2 audit where they've gone through controls and security controls? What does their internal policies look like? And then another one is, can your employees go home and open the software on their personal computer and put your firm data on their on your personal computer without your knowledge or your approval, right? Because you think about it, you then have a staff attorney or a lower end attorney, they've done all this work in the evenings in the firm and you're like, okay, that's great. And then they leave and all your intellectual property is sitting on their computer. So when we were not cloud-based, we didn't have the same worries that way. When we have the cloud-based pieces, we have to at least ask the vendors what their controls look like, how we can secure the data, what user approval or device approval processes are in place for this, and if and determine the risk factor on it. Like one firm we determined that we deal with, we said, hey, there's a software tool like Dropbox that you can install that allows the firm to sync the data. They made the decision to move forward knowing that. 
but they wrote a policy to go with it saying, hey, this is in violation of the use of the software. This is in violation of your working for the firm. If we find out that you have done this, there's disciplinary issues coming around it. Great. So give me a good basic setup. Like what are some of the component parts a firm should have in terms of like, let's say a single incident firm, like a, a case management software. And like, there's also some inter interstitials. I don't know what you call them, like lead docket that we like to see from a marketing perspective that track the leads as they come in and go into the, the case manager. And then like just basic communications things that a firm should have. Like what's the basic, you know, if you could say, you know, hey, you're, we got a couple very bright attorneys who just left a firm and a couple of guys left a defense firm and three, four attorneys in, in Louisiana for, we're just speaking to this week and they're setting up a new firm. So what are some of the great foundational pieces that they should have in place for all those parts? Well, first of all, you know, you got to make the decision, are we, is everything going to be cloud-based? And we're looking at those options, right? But from every firm, every firm, in my opinion, most firms, especially in legal industry, should be in Office 365 for their emails and for their file structure. Now, that comes with a whole, there are some disjointed pieces around that. When Microsoft sets that up, the Canvas is very open and very easy to access. When we look at everything, we look at a, and it's probably the theme of my conversation around containerizing the data, right? So we want to make sure that we're putting Office 365 in place. We're putting policies in place that prevent them from sending emails with social security numbers, bank accounts, or other stuff without sending encrypted emails. We want to make sure we have the proper licensing that preventing employees from going and downloading the data onto their local computer and having access to all that data on their local machine. Because again, we don't want data leakage. So then we look, and, so and that's by the, the first. By the way, you like Office 365 because of this that security piece and containerization. I like it for, that As opposed in, to like the Gmails and the, the Yahoo's, et cetera. Well, the Yahoo, I'm not going to go with. A free Gmail account, I'm not going to go with. Because when you look at Yahoo, you look at Outlook.com, you look at Gmail.com, you don't own your data. They own your data and they have a right to inspect the metadata on all that data. When you buy a Google Aid account or you buy an Office 365 account, you own the data. You don't, they don't have any rights to inspect the data. So that is a big piece. When I get concerned, if I get an email from a lawyer that's sending emails on a Gmail account, he doesn't really own that account. He gets use of it, but Google owns the account and can do what they want if you read the end user agreement on it. It's free. Yeah. And so, so at for, the very least, the paid. We, I think our, our product is called Google Workspace and yep. it includes some of those security components to it. Google Workspace has the same platform as we do. And we do a lot of firms that have Google Workspace. The reason we look at probably the Office 365 patch is when you look at legal software, the integrations from third-party software, whether it's a case management software or document management software or time and billing software has a lot more integrations, especially um, into Office 365 versus the G Suite. As far as a security aspect, we can put the same policies in place of data leak protection, 
preventing people from installing it on home computers, mobile device management. But from a overall integration point of view, I think the Office 365 is the better solution for a law firm if they're looking to scale other applications into it. Great. And how about some of the case management softwares? Were there some that you, you love and recommend and some that you prefer firms don't go with? I really don't want to say which we don't go with because, you know, everybody's got their choices as far as that goes. As I say, a good political answer, by the way. <laughs> I think it's building out a vendor assessment sheet, yeah. right? We look at it and kind of what are the questions that you have? Go through the firms you want to. So if you're looking at a case management software, right? Can we put, um, device controls in it. How do you access the software? What in, What is installed on the local computer? What does their security look like? Build a spreadsheet and compare the software and get an apples to apples comparison of going along. Then get some reference points along the way and make sure you're asking the appropriate questions. We just had a firm use um, that was used, went to my case and they got a reference and they were having a question about billing. So they went back to the reference firm and said, how do you deal with the billing issues? Oh, we don't use it for billing. So they <laughs> forgot to ask this, you know, they asked how did they like it, but they didn't ask the deep probing questions on how they operate their firm to get there. And then when you look at like case management software and you look at it, it's like even further. Okay, do you use, is your firm using QuickBooks? Do you need, and you're using the desktop version, do you have to migrate to the online version? What is that gonna look like for you? What changes in your firm from working from one version to another? I can tell you ourselves, we're struggling with this because we have 20 years worth of reports and all the stuff that we use for our financial reporting that we have to rebuild. And some of them we can't rebuild on the online version of it. So it all, I like to use the phrase, slow down to go fast. Some of the component parts of the um, tech stack, if you will, document storage, case management, billing. Are there any other big, and then email and access, I guess. Are there any other big chunks that I'm missing? You know, you can get into forensics and stuff like that, depending on the firm and data discovery. But a lot of firms in the smaller size are generally using third-party products for those pieces at this point. They're not bringing it in-house. Years ago, we used to see it, but these days, those providers are so good and they got the security and the tools. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, a friend of mine has a business and, and they do... Um like massive cases like uh, i think they worked on the flint michigan water case where it's like mm -hmm. it's, you know it's, it's it's almost it's not i don't, I don't think it's a mass tort but it's like six thousand people mm -hmm. um, who have met all have medical rectors and doctors and tests and mercury levels and you know storing that kind of data and and typically that goes out outside of the firm is that correct that is correct great all right well um you know, I think that's the uh, the brass tacks. Now let's get into the fun stuff. And as yeah, mentioned, absolutely. I ask everyone, um, you know, these few questions through the years. Uh, so who's your NFL team? Um, New York Giants. You're based in the city, and uh, yeah, I'm based in the city, and I'm 
you're going down with that ship this year, whether it whether you need I go to down. Not, right? Well, the Giants, you know, at least the Giants once every decade or so come back <laughs> and win one. The Jets, we just keep hoping for one day for a, you know, bright star. But those people, you know, I don't still haven't seen it yet in all the years. And is there any software or apps that you like for personal productivity or just use for fun that you recommend that we could check out? You know, I'm a big proponent of a lot of the Microsoft stuff. I um, use the to-do app in the Microsoft suite. I use OneNote extensively. I actually have shares with my family and other pieces of that sort. So Things like um, to-do lists and yeah, Netflix I mean, videos you want to watch and things like that. Well, even, you know, we get together, we like we have a share to do. So I have a, you know, personal account. And like even with my family, I have we have a OneNote account where we keep track of from our traveling packing lists that we can all share. I have two kids that are in their 20s and or medical records or when we were looking for schools, we could all collaborate on the same data very easily. Didn't have to email it. That's great. And the packages are free. There are, and I shouldn't say they're they're included inside the Microsoft either business or personal yeah. subscriptions, and they really make a difference in your ability to collaborate easily. That's great. Yeah, I use Evernote, you know, similarly mm -hmm. to make lists like that. But I never thought of sharing it with my wife. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that's what. It's wonderful. My wife will turn around, we'll put a packing list together or some other to-do list for the house and we just add things together. And then I get to the store and I open it up and I got a to-do list of things I got to get. Now, you know, most people probably wouldn't think that the race car driver and the uh, IT professional would come together, but tell us about your uh, your recent hobby and passion with the cars. Oh, you hit my real <laughs> favorite thing. So I've always been a car guy since I'm in my... Um, teens and stuff like that always wanted to do something on the track and stuff like that and um took my son of when he was 18 to lime rock raceway which is a racetrack run here to do an autocross event we hired a professional driver for him and i was so excited i was just wanted to be out there myself so we turned around and i asked him what do i want how do i get involved in this and he said just go buy a used miata you'll have more fun than you know what to do with he said, you don't need a six or 700 horsepower car to the exact opposite. So I bought a little Miata, kind of started in it, got really started in June of 2022. And it was like a thing of beauty and more expense than I ever realized. But it's been fun. I stopped thinking about everything when I'm out there. And I wound up on a second car and having a blast doing it. I'm not actually racing, but I'm on the track at speed, learning and having a lot of fun with it. That's awesome. Congrats. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, it is. What, uh, you know, are there a few business books like, the you know, the young people in your firm or or people starting out a business? Do you have some go-to recommendations? My always go-to recommendation that I always send out everybody is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And basically it's the subtitle, Why Most Small Businesses Don't Work and Some Do. And one of the options, one of the reasons, Mike, I really like that book is he talks about the fact that a plumber or a lawyer or, or or whoever gets into business because they're good at a trade, not because they're good at being a business person. Yeah. And I think the transition from being a one or two person company, and I got stuck there for 10 years myself, 
of learning how to be a business person and delegate and work through people and build process versus being the guy who can do it transforms you from having a job. You know, you basically, if you're one or two people, you've created a job for yourself. When you've got seven, eight, 10 people, now you've got a business. Yeah, I love Emeth. I always explain it to people. And I was lucky to someone recommended it, you know, my first year in business. And we started developing systems and basically writing down everything we do. And then you do it the same way every time. I, I always say, like, you know, you get the same Big Mac in Boston or Bangkok because McDonald's yeah. has systems like they have systems for their potato growers and systems for the the buns and the buns have to be identical and the meat has to meet uh, the same criteria now some people would argue that's not a high, high enough criteria but it's exactly the same in Boston and Bangkok and then the you know the amount of big mac sauce is identical and comes out of the same squirter and it's made with the same recipe and uh, the pickles of the same taste profile etc 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 so you know if a business has systems like that you know, the for me, I think the most valuable thing is when when a new person starts and you assign them a task and you give them a really good training and, and a list mm-hmm. of what to do to do that task, and then you can go course correct. Like if they if they miss something, you can refer back to the system and then they can learn. Um, and 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 it's like that system, those systems that we've developed at our firm, we've developed over twenty years. And every time we find a better way to do it, we revise the systems. How, how can a law firm implement that? Like the, the actual systematization. We use a software, project management software called ClickUp. Do you see anything best practices within the law? I don't know if I do right now. I haven't really investigated that. It's something really interesting to do. But, you know, even when we started out, we had at least a directory of Word and Excel documents. Okay, this is how an employee gets onboarded. This is the documents in here for the process of it. This is the documents on how you do this. And I say this to law firms and some of them do really well at this. I say to them, okay, let's get a, when we get a case management software, let's look at the process. Software company turns around and trains you. Now let's build our own document, right? How How does the firm enter a case? What is What are the criteria? What are the fields? What are the pieces you want? What is the solution? This is almost more important than the software you selected because now you will get consistency in the data that you're getting out of the software and everything else. And as you were saying, you can course correct, right? You've got a guide on how to... Yeah. How... What went wrong? How did somebody not follow it? It's not on the job training. I guess the most uh, I've read about that is uh, from from some of John Morgan's stuff. I got a couple of his books, and the uh, you know obviously the largest personal injury firm in the country, Morgan and Morgan. And uh, John teaches. He has some great conferences. I, I haven't been, but a number of the attorneys swear by by his training because he'll give you his his like checklist for you know following up on cases. And he's like, hey, look, it's free. Go download it. Like, this is our best practices. We've honed over 10, 20 years in in our firm, and, and we've made that available. And then I, I believe he's also built it into, like, he's an investor in Litify, one of the case management softwares. And it's literally got every, it's got a reminder to call the client at every step. And the, the number one complaint about law firms is the clients never know what's going on with their case. And I know that, I certainly know that 
um, from some business law stuff we've hired lawyers for and and certainly the, the personal injury type of stuff. How about digital stuff? Any podcasts you like? Obviously, the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast, but any yeah. other uh, podcasts or videos, YouTubes you like? Not really. I'm honestly, it's one area I'm really investigating right now. I haven't spent a lot of time on that, but it's something I'm really starting to look at that piece. I mean, I you're you're we're on video, but people are not hearing it, but you can see there's a lot. There's a library of books behind me and stuff like that. You know, we've read everything from the Rockefeller Habits and other pieces to we use um, in our own operation um, EOS, which is basically an entrepreneurial operating system and a framework. I haven't read a whole a bunch of podcasts, but I'm always active at looking and listening yeah. to what is in the marketplace and how to be a better how to transform myself in the business of being a better CEO versus being a better tech or being a better person. Our job, my job in the company is to lead the vision of the company and anything from a podcast to a book that I can learn a little bit of nuggets from is what I take on. Yeah. We're going deep with EOS, uh, the entrepreneurial operating system. And, um, you know, the one tip I have, uh, for folks, if you if, and you probably started hearing about traction and, mm -hmm. and EOS and and so many law firms, like seems like every law firm conference now has a session on EOS and a couple firms running EOS. And and by the way, I find almost exclusively the best law firms, like the most successful, the fastest growing, the most revenue, have you know invest in these kinds of things. And you know, EOS happens to be one of them. You don't have to be on EOS, but like some of them. You know, if, if, you, if you're in a room and there's 150 lawyers, top five to 10 guys have systems. They measure everything they do. And a lot of times have EOS. So I like to tell people, if you tried to read the book Traction and you didn't get it, and I, that was me for like, ten, I got it 10 years ago, tried to read it. And then I kept hearing, oh, it's the best business book of the you know last 10 years. Got to read Traction. Tried to read it again. Couldn't get through it. Then I got the book Get a Grip. And get that a got grip. me. Yeah. Get a grip Absolutely. Is for the visionary. And one thing I learned I about EOS is that traction is really written for what they call the integrator, which is typically like the COO position in a business. Mm -hmm. And and um, get a grip is written for the visionary, which is typically the, the CEO founder, the guy who goes out and finds the, the business relationships and finds a lot, most of the business deals. So if you're hearing about EOS and you didn't get it and you couldn't get through traction. Read Get a Grip, but Michael, you were going to say something. I actually said I read Get a Grip first, and it was enabled me to get through traction. Yeah. And I would say to you, if you don't like details, and you're the guy who was like, hey, I want, or woman, I'm the person who wants to kind of put this in place, but I want to walk away. I don't like to run the process. Read Get a Grip first and figure out in your organization who can help you implement EOS or hire an implementer? It's amazing how different it is. Anyway, so then I read Get a Grip, then I read Rocket Fuel, and now we're doing a book club in our company. And every week we're reading a chapter of what the heck is EOS? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. That's so a good thought. I may, I may implement that in my leadership yeah. team as well. So but it's definitely. interesting. So you mentioned E-Myth. And what, one thing I really like about Gina Wickman, who wrote Traction and 
the EOS books, the founder of EOS, is he doesn't like take somebody else's management principle and rename it something. He's very, very liberal and and, and honest and giving. Like he'll he'll be like, look, you got to read the book EMath, and these are the three or four things you have to do from EMath. And then he's like, he calls his quarterly goals rocks, and he's like, this comes from Rockefeller habits, and mm-hmm. and it gives credit to the other business books. And what I loved about that is like so many people try and take the, the, that core principle and then rename it and, and make it different enough that they confuse you <laughs> instead of what I love about Wickman. He's just like, look, this is great. You need quarterly rocks. You got to get the whole company on board with the top three to seven things that, that, that the company's got to accomplish. And quarterly cycles are very good for managing your business, right? He didn't go to like call it 90 day uh, boulders, you know, <laughs> just mm-hmm. to give it its own name. So. Um, highly, you know, obviously we're bit too big proponents of the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS. What are a couple of things that you guys do um, in terms of running EOS and, and implementing? So we we're on our way. So like last Friday, we had our quarterly leadership meeting. Basically, we pulled the whole leadership team out, which is four of us. And we, unfortunately, we couldn't do it in person. We like to, but we had basically our meeting every quarter. And then we have um, we have a weekly leadership meeting at two o'clock th- this afternoon. We spend an hour and a half. We go through the L10 meeting process and we basically look at our where we're at on our rocks, which are the quarterly initiatives and what issues are, we have in the company and which ones we're going to work on. And, and we work through those uh, during the during that meeting and figure out what homework has to be done. And. Then we're having our annual meeting um, the end of this month. We actually hired an outside facilitator to run the that meeting for us so we don't get stuck in our own tangents and our own minutia from that point of view. So we're really trying to kind of change who, not change who we are, but change the fundamentals of the company and kind of build a framework around it. One of the yeah. goals that I think in any business is I would like to be able to walk away for two weeks in the business and have a leadership team that the business is running and basically it's freestanding without me. Yeah, that's the, that's the dream. And, uh, and, and the promise of, of having any, you know, any good operating system. Right. But, yes. the, the, and by the way, that, you know, you mentioned the outside facilitator, the one thing that EOS got wrong in my opinion, is is they have two different very important positions. So you and I, we, we believe we're the visionary, which, you know, we are the, obviously the founders of the firms, but the visionary is a role that like you're the person who goes to the conference and comes back with 10 great ideas. And then you need the internal person who has to say, okay, look, Michael, I agree with you. These are 10 great ideas, but we've already got our quarterly rocks and everybody's really busy and they're, they're working on their day job. Plus, implementing these new systems that we're going to get done by the end of the quarter. And I promise you, we'll get them done. And these 10 new ideas, we're going to bring them to the quarterly planning meeting next quarter. I promise you. And then they do bring it. So you're, you know, typically the visionary brings back these 10 ideas and wants everyone to do 10 new things every time they go to a conference. But so you ever the hear thing, of the seagulling? Here's the, here's the one thing they got wrong. Okay. When you bring yeah. it back to that person internally, they're called the integrator. And yes. the external facilitator you hired is called the implementer, but they both start with I and they both are about the same length of words. And I could never in- differentiate between the integrator and the implementer, but 
you know, it's everything else about EOS is awesome. <laughs> so there's one thing that you got to watch for. You ever hear the word seagulling? Seagulling, so you come right. Back, <laughs> so you come back and you come back with this idea, whether it's a law firm or an IT firm, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. And you come back and you're like, oh, we got this great idea. I bought this new product. Yeah. And you drop it down on the team and you walk out of the room and you say, okay, guys, implement this. Yeah. And that's and then what you the visionary back. does. Like the visionary, like I'm always enthusiastic about the new ideas for like two or three weeks. And then, you know, you need that great integrator or COO position to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. This was really, really great and lots of fun. If folks want to get their IT program straightened out or, you know, take get that cyber training for their team to make sure they're not the next uh, Bitcoin success story or Bitcoin disaster. If anybody, where do they, where do they I'll find make it even. I'll make it even further. If anybody's got any questions, not you know, if anybody's got any clarifying questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I can give my email address out on this, or we can put it out separately. But that's up to you, Jay. Yeah, no, um, no, go ahead. Give, give us uh, your contact info and the best places to find you, and then look down below in the show notes if you're listening to this online. Okay, so my website's www.itsnyc.com. My email is m coopersmith at itsnyc.com and if you have questions about any of the stuff actually it's my pleasure i'd love to teach i love to talk to people i love to help people i can guide you in the right direction some of it's really simple free easy things to ask your inter it external internal people and you know we go from there awesome well michael lots of fun thanks for spending the time and thanks for being on on the podcast today Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast. Please send questions and comments to podcast at 10goldenrules.com. That is podcast at 10goldenrules.com. 